Welcome to Season 2, Episode 57 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today, I got the crew back. I have Matthew Aguilar. Yeah. Janelle Wheeler. <laughs> yeah. And we have producer Jim Viscardi's back with us. Hello, hello. No, I you had to do it that. too. Yeah, like man, come on. And uh, we got Jim back because uh, he's got a... Break, help us break down the big hatchet falling over at DC Comics as a uh, one half of our comic insider team with Matt. You guys got to kind of take us through what the hell is happening at DC Comics and what does the future look like and what does this all have to do with DC Fandom, this big celebration we're about to have of all things DC. So we got to talk about that and we're going to deep dive into that. But first, we got a lot of news that just keeps breaking like up to the minute of pressing record on this show. Um, you know, this is how it goes. It rains and pours, and then we have no news forever, and then we have, like, so much news. <laughs> Great. Easy to run a podcast this way. But we have news about Disney's new Tron movie, Tron 3, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but we're going to talk about it because it's got a, a pretty uh, acclaimed director. We might know some new things about Spider-Man 3 that we need to talk about, plus a last-minute update about New Mutants. So we're going to have some New Mutants news coming out that we need to uh, probably talk about now. So we can look like we are on the pulse of this stuff. <laughs> we got a bunch of gaming stuff to do. We had like just one, but now it's just a whole gaming section. We got to talk about The Last of Us 2, Cyberpunk, Halo Infinite, and the Xbox Series X. Big things happening on all fronts. We got to talk about some TV shows that are coming back to the airwaves. And what are we seeing? What is happening? Saved by the Bell, Fresh Prince, <laughs> MacGruber, which is my personal favorite if you can't tell from a song. These are all TV shows that are making their way back to the airwaves. We got to break all that down. And like I said, DC Comics plus new comics. That's going to be a confusing section. We're going to be talking about how things are getting cut, what yeah. things are coming out. So a lot to do, but this is 2020. So it's all happening now. All right. Back up at the top. Let's take some news. Like I said, uh, Tron, you know, here's something I didn't think we'd be talking about like right about now, but, uh, Disney has been quietly making some push, kind of getting Hytron mania stoked again. It, it, I've been working here enough years. This is like 2017, I guess, we started reporting about this, <laughs> that uh, Jared Leto was going to be doing uh, a new Tron movie. And at that time, he was going to be put, playing some new character called Ares. It was going to be like not a Tron 3. It, was gonna, it wasn't going to be the Tron Legacy sequel. It was going right. to be this new Tron built from the quote code quote unquote of uh, Tron legacy. And you know, that storyline, we don't know what that meant, but this was also like back. I mean, when they still had hopes of building out a whole Tron universe. Now Leto's still attached. They have a writer for this thing. I'm not sure what it is. I mean, rumor has it that this is going to be more connected that we might see the Tron legacy cast like Garrett Hedlund, Olivia Wilde, they might be coming back. But what we do know for sure is that, Jared Leto is still attached to this film to star. And they got Gareth uh, Davis, I believe his name is, the Oscar-winning yep. or Oscar-nominated director of Lion. Um, that movie with Dev Patel that, uh, that got so much acclaim a couple years ago when it came out. And it was one of those things, Matt, you, you mentioned like a couple weeks ago, it was one of those that came into the Oscars with like real hot with like six noms, but left yeah. with like, I don't think anything. God, that's um, the worst. Yeah, that is the worst. But uh, no, but Lion was a great movie. Um, and it, based on, I believe, a very good book. And so, uh, yeah, Garth Davis, not Gareth. There's too many Gareths out there already. So his name is Garth Davis. Um, so Garth Davis is attached to direct the next Tron movie with Jared Leto. So that's an Oscar-nominated director, Oscar-winning star. 
Uh, this is not the Disney Tron movie you probably expected, mm-hmm. but um, you know, here we are. And if I, if you saw anything about Jared Leto and Blade Runner, uh, 2049, you're probably like, oh man, this could go a lot of ways, but uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> well, I, I would have to imagine that part of this is also, will also fall in line when they bring the Tron rides to the Disney parks here yes. in this Yes. Because That's the Tron, so like that about. is a thing that is happening. Yep. And the Tron rides in overseas. You, are, you just think like a producer. Are huge. Just think like a producer. They're like, they're huge, huge attractions over there uh, that, you know, it, 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 Tron's one of those weird legacy, uh, you know, titles that I think will always be around. As and have we ever explained are. why though? Like why? <laughs> I mean, that's part of the reason why Jared's even interested in it. He he's very sentimental about Tron being from his childhood. That's why he's pumped about you know. He said I think he was, it was I think like Tron was one of these first looks into what a computer future. video yeah. game future could look like, and I think that's where the, a lot of the he's nostalgia ahead of its kind time of sets a little in for bit. It. Yeah, I mean but like I the, idea, the, the idea the idea of like reboot. light bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the idea of light bikes are still cool, and like you know, just look. I've I I have admittedly watched a lot of those Tron ride videos on YouTube and it looks It does look cool. It looks really really cool. And Uh, so for them to try and probably line this up just makes perfect sense in a way that like people will go see the movie. People will get hopefully get excited about Tron again. And then when they go book their Disney vacations, we'll go get all the fast passes and the line will be As someone who really dug like Legacy, I really liked Legacy. I feel like I'm one of the, yeah, like I, I thought it was just a really fun popcorn cool tech flick and i like the action and i i love the way they brought bridges back and like had like that i thought that was really cool i was really bummed that it did you know computer didn't do anything at the box office rough well but i just i liked the movie and i was excited to see what would come next from it this interpretation of if it's this weird spin-off thing with his own code and based around Jared Leto that doesn't necessarily interest me I mm. I need those callbacks to the original because that's it's the nostalgia play like this f- franchise is totally that so I that I'm not as excited about but I am excited for more Tron because if that gets Same. us a real sequel to that I don't know if that'll ever happen but if it does or even has a link back <laughs> like Blade Runner did mm. where it kind of you know ties in and they bring just a little bit back that's cool too. Like as long as I yeah. get something in that universe, I'm, I'm cool with that. Well, the I mean, do look dope. Though. People don't remember, but Tron Legacy was the New Mutants of its day. Like, it was. Like you're much. talking about something that was announced. It was so big. Joseph Kaczynski. We didn't know who the hell that guy was, but like it sounded pretty cool. He had this whole vision. They had all these people attached. Like Bridges was coming back, and like yeah, and then it just was like delays, delays, yeah. <laughs> like. A mess of a film, Ugh. rumors of behind the scenes trouble. Like it was just nuts, and, and it so, was expensive as hell. Yep. Yeah. And so, and it's just weird because it all because it came out that it came out during that same time where like I feel like there's also now a bit of nostalgia for because it was the same year that I think Prince of Persia, the Jake Gyllenhaal one, came out from oh, Disney. Wow. Really? And wait, right? Did Disney put that one out? Or am I thinking so? No, was... I'm thinking of John Carter of Mars. John yeah, Carter, John of, Carter Mars. of Mars. Prince of okay. Persia was, you, you had that right. I don't remember the yeah. studio who did that, but that movie yeah. also was. But like John Carter of Mars was, was pretty soon after that, where I feel like there was something, now I'm looking it up. Oh yeah, okay. So John Carter was like 2012, where like Disney was trying to put out these like live action, either reimaginings or adaptations, and they were just not working. 
Yeah. But like you look back on them now and you're like, well, they're not that terrible. No, no, John no, Carter no, of Mars terrible. has developed a cult following already. It has. They, oh, like, in God. the same way that Legacy has, which is crazy. Yeah. John Carter, I mean, John Carter got shorted. It was a good movie. But uh yeah. See? It, it's crazy. I don't know. I'm not gonna spend too much time on this, but uh this sounds like I mean, but this isn't I mean, they, we're still trying to figure out how this fits in and if Kaczynski would be back like or influencing this at all um yeah. like yeah but this sounds like it could be a totally different movie but it just the seems like they're saying it's going to be yeah. ambitious and larger than life and and it's just like very obscure things like they don't want to give us it's a gonna lot be of like their metaphor for i mean this could be like the batman of superman of v superman of tron movies and and i love batman v superman but it did go for like a way deeper message than right it arguably could have just gotten away with two superheroes beating each other up it worries um, me anytime someone talks about a movie like they did the ouya where it's like it's gonna revolutionize gaming and that it was like this little sad android thing <laughs> that came out anytime someone tries to sell it to me like they're on qvc i get worried but, but i think yeah. you're right it does have to be ambitious i mean the whole reason why it did well in 1982 is because it was like known for its special effects when I was born. yeah but i'm hey. afraid that jared leto's ambitious is like turning tron into a metaphor flight uh. of the human i love soul him so <laughs> I'm, I'm team jared like leto, that's so what i think and like the light cycle is going to be our race against inevitability horse heads <laughs> horse heads and like the heady stuff. Yeah. I like heady. It's going to be like that, but uh, we can't take too much time. On Damn it. We're going to be like, yeah. I love you, Jared. Moving on. <laughs> there you go. Janelle loves you, Jared. Um, all right. So moving right along from uh, Disney's Tron to Disney's Marvel slash Sony's Spider-Man 3, which is an upcoming uh, movie that we're all kind of looking forward to. Uh, we got some updates on the film that are kind of interesting. It seems like things are beginning to crack because... As Hollywood productions get back into producing themselves, they're way, one of the ones that is kind of up on the slate of upcoming productions and big ones, especially for Marvel. Uh, Tom Holland's got to finish Uncharted with Marky Mark, and then uh, he's got to hop right on over to uh, Spider-Man 3 and get started on that. Worried so what we're hearing time. lately is that uh, Craven the Hunter and Scorpion could be villains for this, and there's a lot of Craven the Hunter chatter kind of uh, spiking up right about now. So if you guys aren't paying attention to comicbook.com Marvel, check that out because, yeah, um, he's long been kind of rumored to be the villain of Spider-Man 3. You know, John Watts even kind of made these kind of coy teases when Far From Home came out. He perfectly fits the obvious ending of Far From Home, which, spoilers, having Mysterio reveal Peter Parker's identity as Spider-Man and frame him for murder, uh, which presumably sends Peter Parker on the run. So if you're looking for Spider-Man, you know, you need somebody who can find things. You got a guy like Craven. That would make sense. Um, Scorpion also would make sense because obviously that was set up in the first film that Matt Gargan got thrown in prison because of Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And, if he, and he was looking to find out who he was. So if he does find out who he is, you know, he's probably going to be, uh, he looks like the type who would be like, you know, torturing Aunt May or something. So, you know, that would all fall in line. The other part of this that we got is that there's a rumored title right before we got in there. Charles Murphy kind of uh, Marvel scooper broke that uh, the title for this film will be Spider-Man homesick, which would be kind of, again, it's all, this is all rumor, but these are very on the point rumors, like unusually. So they all make an unusual amount of sense for, for, for what we do in this, we put the keyboard, we type that keyboard for some pretty, uh, Pretty, pretty out there things that we got to wrap our logic <laughs> into pretzel wrap brains around, you know? 
to try to report some of these rumors. And we love and we're you like, for Okay, that. buddy, you know, it's a free country. Your rumor has a right to exist. Um, but like, yeah, there are times when I'm writing some up and I'm like, yeah, this all tracks. Like, this I'm trying sense. to talk about my blog like that, Kofi. I'm <laughs> trying to promote your blog on this show, Matt. Like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Check out Matt's blog. Um, yeah, blog. <laughs> so, oh, how did what does this sound like? How do you guys? I mean, do you guys buy this? And do you like the direction that that these rumors are taking us in? My um, the picture that I've always kind of like had in the back of my head for how to introduce Craven in uh, into the world of Spider Man also involves the lizard, where the idea would be my uh, my pitch is Wait, are you about the to idea stump would be Todd McFarlane no. you're about to stump for Todd no here we go no 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 we're like the lizard the lizard would you know like Doc Connors is out and the lizard is causing chaos or whatever Peter has the relationship with Doc Connors obviously doesn't want him to get hurt but Craven is on the hunt for uh, for Doc Connors as the lizard and so then Peter has to like save Doc Connors, who, as the lizard, is trying to, you know, who, you know, will kill him, while at the same time get the attention of Craven, who, in trying to save Doc Connors, also is now on Craven's radar. Craven's trying to get both of them, and that's the movie. You've described Silver and Black, by the way. <laughs> that's that's exactly it. what Silver and Black was. You also described Todd McFarlane's, like, Spider-Man 1 through 5, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> And then Wilson wakes up and it's twist a dream. Ending, twist ending. <laughs> Calypso was the one making the lizard crazy <laughs> in the place. And then no, we're, we're not going to go. We wouldn't go, th- we wouldn't go that Calypso crazy. and Craven go get their own spinoff. No, but uh, in all seriousness, um, yeah, so there's all, I mean, but it tracks to you, like all of this, the title tracks, the villain, I mean, the villain choice. Yeah. I don't like up. the title at all. Homesick? Sounds like an old I don't Neo like song. It. it sounds like a I mean, we know song. we know the movie is going to have home in the title somewhere. Yeah, you know, I love it. It's got to be a home pun. But so. why? Like, why do we have to? <laughs> that needs to no. be a that needs to be a meme. Is, but we're going why? for a trilogy. We're going no, for but a trilogy. I'm asking we're not a serious question. I know, and you have a point because I feel the same way. But why I just does think it it's have amazing. to have home in it? Because movies, Janelle Wheeler. Okay, because fine. movies. Yeah, I mean, we got to have a home in the title. <laughs> and and it does make a good I mean it frames a good emotional core for the film because Peter like I was writing up in the article it makes sense because Peter has enough resources between Shield his ties to Shield the Avengers Tony Stark's resources he can be on the run he can even be hiding out so that's not can we call like, it on the run like ooh I like, like that there you go I mean, that sounds like a bad country album. On the like, run, I'm on the road. Florida Georgia Line, right the Georgia Line, on the run. Yeah, like, um, but uh, so like, yeah, so he can be on the run and do all that. But of course, like, what's going to be eating at him is his ties to his home, his normal mm-hmm. life, and being an average kid and all that stuff. And that would be kind of, you know, he's become Iron Man, and that sucks because he doesn't get to be a normal kid anymore. Becoming Iron Man. And it's just like, yeah, he he would be homesick. Throw tons out there until they. (laughs) And not just for queens, but in the sense of being a normal kid and having a normal life, even though he his. And it would be a good roundabout arc because his arc in this was the struggle to be a hero. Now that he can be out and be a hero and do that all the time, like he'd be missing normal Peter Parker life, and so. Oh yeah, that'd be kind of a good message about excited about the loving the normal things, but uh, so I could see like this being a thing. Is it a little bit cheesy? Yes. But uh, I mean, I think we did a bigger stretch for Far From Home than we. I don't even think it's. I don't. I'm torn on this because I I agree with Jim. Like I actually like the idea. I know it gave you 
grief about it, but I actually like the idea of like the whole bringing the lizard thing in. I think lizard right now though is kind of on ice because he's been used. Yeah, because he was yeah right so recently, and like Rhino is the same way. Like we're not going to get a Rhino for a minute because people still mm. have amazing. Don't two. bring up that amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> so like I, you know, that's. But I like the idea, and I think I agree with Kofi. I mean, all of these breadcrumbs actually do fit all these puzzle pieces fit and and craven does seem like the easy pick and so does gargan um well, they're not the I most think... exciting for me but oh. i'm cool with it i love no i like craven scorpion isn't like you know whatever yeah i think scorpion would just be more I, like i said i could see him being the kind of twist in it that like he wouldn't go after spider-man so much as like people around spider-man well like, like it's a very shocker situation with him but yeah. i well, didn't love how they handled that either like, well, I, gotta, I want these villains to have a spotlight more than just be some upgraded henchman. And I feel like Scorpion's like going to be that. Michael Keaton's vulture is still out there. No, I agree. And I love Michael Keaton's right? vulture. Yes, and so, I agree. Uh, but we don't know get, how much of a presence he's going to have. Isn't Tinker still out there? I think so. Yeah, because I don't think yeah, he gets arrested. So. I just, yeah, I think yeah. it's, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity for them to really modernize craven right because like we're not gonna get lion head vest wearing slipper you know slipper and zebra tights craven like, Spider-Man it better be a flashback <laughs> like that yeah but be like flashback. but like you know but like you know but just think of you know the modern day big game bounty hunter kind of things awesome and, I can see no, those people know. are not awesome. He owns a no, yeah, they're terrible. Are, but I not, think this villain is gonna be people. so fun. He owns. Like, I mean, like, this is gonna be what MCU based on Morbius. Of dog, the he owns a, yeah. yeah, based yes. on Morbius Easter eggs. He owns it's a chain of sandwich thing. shops, but uh, you know, or something like that. <laughs> but um, just but uh, in all seriousness, but um, the other part of this is we know that Craven's gonna probably get his own spinoff film, and it's in the works, so it's not a probably. Like he's gonna get a spinoff film, yeah. hmm. and so I would see Scorpion being the one. I would see this being a story of like Craven being an anti-hero, anti-hero, like he's hired to catch Spider-Man. He's really lethal. He's really good, but he has a code. And so he doesn't do certain things. So he's not going to put like Aunt May or, or uh, Ned and all the, and MJ and all those people in danger. He wouldn't do that. Scorpion doesn't give an F. He's just a gangster. He'll kill all those people to kind of either hurt Spider-Man or get to Spider-Man. And that would make kind of Spider-Man and Craven have to unite to kind of, Take yeah. down other and then when you bring Venom in, you can give Gargan the symbiote, and yeah. then you have that whole run, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot to do. And the guy who plays Matt Gargan is is one of our... Uh, I love that guy. I, I only like stand name. this whole, like, good Craven because maybe that means... Uh, well, it won't because she's owned by Marvel, but maybe that means I get a Squirrel Girl reference. Oh, jeez. Please stop. Is there besties? They're best friends. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, yeah, Craven won't be a good guy. He'll just be like a hunter with a code. He, you know, he, he wants to hunt fitting sport. Like he this. doesn't do certain things. Like, yeah. All right. So that's, uh, that's Spider-Man. Real quick mention. It seems like we are still sticking to New Mutants current theatrical release dates. Jim, give us an update. What's happening on that? That Disney, was like one of our quick last minute ones. Disney has told exhibitors to start selling tickets August 18th. I don't know how how that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we are in Nashville and bars what are open and parks. No one's going to be there. Movie theaters are not. <laughs> movie theaters are not. Yeah. Movie theaters are not. You can't go to an AMC right now. You can't go to a Regal. Like, they are just not open. 
So my question is, okay, so, and this, and this comes down to, we'd have to have the contract in front of us, right? But I would be interested because most stateside theaters are not open. That's just a fact. There are few, but most are not open. The ones that are open are, are international. So as long as the contract doesn't specify like, hey, it has to be released stateside or, you know, if, if it's just blanket says it has to be in a theater, it doesn't matter that 95% of theaters are closed. If it's open it's in tall. another country or if it's open Ned's theater and slushy <laughs> drive-in like is open, then it counts. <laughs> and then that means we can get on Disney+. Plus. I would, I would be interested to see like what the actual language is. Yeah. Uh, and well, I if, mean, you're touching on something we we're going to get into real quick before we uh, break. But um, yeah, here, let's just talk about it. So we've been tra- tracking this uh, drama with Charlie Ridgely because uh, we have <laughs> kind of ongoing bets with Charlie about whether New Mutants would end up on streaming or theatrical. And we were discussing not too long ago that he could win this whole thing on a, just a gross technicality, which is there's a contract that basically stipulates that New Mutants has to be released theatrically first. But at the same time, we've begun to kind of speculate that Disney's doing this almost cynical thing where they're going to just throw that canary down the coal mine, knowing it's probably going to die from the fumes of nobody showing up just to get around the kind of legal stipulations they need to get around. And then they'll dump that thing on streaming real quick. It'll be just a quick turnaround. Um, so, and, and you know what? That's not a dumb idea because if, <laughs> If they do it now and by like September 18th, like New Mutants is offered on Disney Plus or Hulu as a rental for like $4.99 or something like that. Like I'm paying that. Exactly. Like I'm paying that. And they can make a chunk of change off that and or gain a few subscribers along the way. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on the situation because... We might have to let Charlie Ridgely eat his birth, his victory cake in the <laughs> grossest, most obscene possible way Grr. of like New Mutants being out for a day, and then he he gets to quote unquote win. So well, but see, there's still there's still a wrinkle in all this, right? Because the initial give me hope, Jim. Come on. The initial, I mean, the initial contract that Fox signed with that Fox signed was with HBO. It may need to go to HBO before they can PVOD this, or they can't, or they will not be able to stream it and only make it available to for a purchase rental. Like you will not be able to own New Mutants. You will either be able to well, rent it for like troll style, twenty bucks for forty eight hours, or whatever. Right. Or watch it on HBO Max for X amount of time before it can actually be released to buy uh, digitally. And if you have a Roku, you can't use HBO Max. (laughs) But I'd throw that back in there. I can see that HBO Max needs all the help it can get right now. So how about they work something out with Roku, which is like the highest percentage of viewer, like people watching HBO on and figure that out. To Janelle's point, it's also not on Amazon Fire Stick, it's not on which Fire is what Stick. I have. And so we literally can only watch HBO Max on my PS4. Yep. We cannot no. watch it on any other device we it's have, insane. even though we 
Do you move it around the house? Like you're like, oh, oh we're gonna we watch it in the swap. room today. HBO Max is the only one that I can't watch. So literally, we have to have both hooked up to the TV so we can swap yeah, between them. I mean, just or you so can stream it. You can, can watch Big Bang. I have been able to kind of find a workaround. You can stream it from your phone or tablet, like to your TV, if you have mm. a compatible. TV. Okay, that's yeah. I did not get room. HBO Max because it's not available on anything I own. So I, I just, I don't have HBO yeah. anymore. Yeah, but if you can, like, again, if you can stream to your TV, I will be fair and say, like, if you have, like, one of those kind of TVs that can pick up, you know, Which streaming video from your phone, then, like, yeah, you, that works, too. I'll have to try that. Like, Sony TVs, I can stream HBO Max from my phone to my TV, so. Oh, I have a Sony. But it still sucks. Yeah. Um, get it on that other stuff, because, yeah, it's inconvenient. Uh, I don't like having, like, every single streaming thing I use on my Fire Stick <laughs> and then having to go do special treatment for HBO Right, Max. yeah. Perry Mason was great. It wasn't that great. All right. So <laughs> moving right along, we got to take a break. We're going to pay some bills. When we come back, we got to talk about a bunch of gaming updates. We're going to dive into these old shows coming back and try to figure out what's happening at DC Comics. Stay tuned. Alright, so gaming. Let's run through this. We got some uh, major games getting some major uh, dropping some major information updates. So let's start right at the top. Uh, the first things first, I didn't put any links in here because I'm super prepared. But uh, <laughs> The Last of Us 2 is going to be getting its first kind of real big update. And it's not like a new DLC gaming or mini game or anything like that. So, uh, you know, don't get too excited about that. But basically what it will be is just some kind of mods to the game itself. To Instagram filters. Some, yeah. Yeah. To allow <laughs> for, which is important. People like to uh, kind of show off their gaming. Ghost of Tsushima has everybody kind of jealous right now. Yeah. People want to show off. And Last of Us 2 is gorgeous, so they should be able to show off True. some great mm -hmm. screenshots and some beautiful kind of filters. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, they're also doing a crazy difficulty, which is called Grounded which um, raises the difficulty stakes by making, em making it more real world. Like the, you know, the, ammo, the enemies are harder to kill. The ammos, the things you find for like upgrades and all the little items and, and kind of uh, progressive items you find are more scarce because this is a dystopia. And um, the tools that make it gamey, like you know, a HUD, things like that, um, listening mode and other things, kind of elements that are you know obviously beyond human element and become game elements will be taken away so i have a funny story about this because this ties back to my why i'm like obsessed with the last of us right now so i got the last of us as a uh, remastered digital game when i got my ps4 in 2015 i missed it on ps3 because i didn't own one um, but i got it as remastered so i tried to play it and at the time, I was in this still, like, I'm Billy Badass of video games. So I just went right for extreme. <laughs> Skip all tutorials. Oh, good lord. Go oh, for extreme <laughs> And by that time, they had added basically what this is what extreme mode was by the time the remaster came out. It was grounded mode. So no HUD, no kind of details. You don't know. There's no indicators that, like, a bottle is something you can pick up. You just got to see it physically yeah. with your eyes and walk over it and do all that. And so I played it in 2015 got quickly very frustrated with this game because I just kept dying horribly and was just like, all right, this is nuts. I'm not playing this game. 
and was like soured on it. Cut to now, The Last of Us 2 comes out. I'm like, I got to get back into this. So I go in and try again, get annihilated. And then I'm like, fine, all right. I'm just going to drop it down because I'm a parent now. My ego's been well, long crushed. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to drop it down to just regular hard and see. So I get all like the indicators back, all the button tutorials. So I didn't know you could like grapple with walkers. I didn't know you could stealth kill people. I didn't know like half the things you could pick up or use like as melee weapons. And so I finally like played the game and like loved it. And that's why I kind of quickly, I was just like, this is the best game ever. What have I been doing? And got <laughs> The Last of Us Part Two, which I am now playing. Um, but the kind of twist ending to all this is because I started so long ago and picked it back up and did it on extreme mode. I didn't even know listening mode was a thing. I didn't know that was a part of the game. I didn't know there was like a button. I never just bothered to press that button, I guess. Yeah. So I paid all of the last of us without ever using listening mode, which made the game significantly harder, but more fun. And so that's all to say, I'm looking forward to this now because I'm going to redeem myself on part two. I'm going to come <laughs> back through and I'm going to play it on grounded mode and I am going to smash this game. No so. wonder you did not like it. Yeah, I like, know. That's explains nuts. everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. That's, uh, that's the same way with uh, Ghost of Tsushima where it has the uh, Kurosawa mode where it, everything's black and white. And like, but people who like dive right into that like have the same kind of issues because there are mechanics in the world of like, hey, go hit these colored barrels. Hey, go do this. And you can't see any of that <laughs> if it's black <laughs> and white. So like, they're having the same things and it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah that, the PSA that here is... Before we move on is kids play the game first take your ego out of it play the game learn the game then go play these extreme modes because they are fun um it was fun to play last of us in the harder kind of not knowing about listening mode and actually having to track people and see where they are and do all that but uh play through the game first save yourself some stress also proof that naughty dog is just like really attentive like naughty dog is really good about putting like accessibility options in their games and all these things that like we hope other developers do but one of the cool things is they introduced two more platinum more sorry two more trophies into the game based on grounded mode That's but cool. typically when a new trophy gets put in the game and you don't have the platinum already it like you need to get everything like it just calculates like everything in this case you don't have to have either of those to get your platinum trophy even after the fact which is cool. again it's just one of those things like not everyone pays attention to but when you get a studio that does it's cool for nerds i get it or you yes. can be like me and just use all the new cheats that are coming out like infinite ammo <laughs> exactly you can do that too Infinite crafting, wow. one-shot cheat lets you slow down. You can slow down the game by 25%. Okay. Janelle Great. totally used Game Genie. Oh, right yeah. Oh. Didn't, we just, didn't we just explain why you can win on Area 51 so much? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that's trash talk. Take that very hey, there's seriously. No, there's no substitute for Mario Kart, though. I will always dominate Mario Kart. No cheats. <laughs> wow. I don't even take Find out at Twitch, Janelle Wheeler. All right. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, Cyberpunk. Matt, you want to hit Cyberpunk? Tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, so they did their uh, next event. Uh, they've been doing kind of these small, like Nintendo Direct-ish events where they highlight one part of the game. And, and this one was actually cool because, you know, when we talked about this last time, I was a little, uh, you know, kind of not feeling the last one because it was so focused on just, uh, like, stuff we see in other games that that doesn't make cyberpunk special and in this one you see like the three different um not classes but uh lifestyles that you can pick from the beginning of the game so you can either do corporate uh you can do street level and then you can do i think it's outlaw or outlander but i believe it's one of those um and they're very like they start your character from like completely different walks of life 
and you meet all kinds of different characters at the beginning of those scenarios. And they show like a snippet of each of those beginning arcs. And it's not like in a lot of games where maybe that's the way for like 30 minutes and then it all converges. And so everyone has a little bit of a different thing, but it's all the same. This one really highlights how different those individual things are. And you're going to meet different characters and and because of your background, you'll be able to have different conversations with other characters you meet in those other parts of the world because you'll have knowledge from yours and not everyone's going to have that. It really highlights the RPG aspects of this game. And that looks super, super cool. Um, they also showed some like general gameplay. They showed some of the weapons and stuff. Uh, but the lifestyle pass, because there's three and they're so different, that's the stuff I love. And that's but, the like, stuff the that like the lightsaber mean, sword thing? Yes. So awesome. Yeah, that thing was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that thing I mean, was awesome. we have to touch on that. Yeah, that was super cool. And like the gameplay looks like really good. Like again, it's like the combat is not what I, someone like me is coming to this for, but it, it looks super, like it looks really good. Um, and, the, and the action stuff they're showing in the chase sequences look really cinematic. So yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, that, the more and more I see this game, the more I'm excited. I mean, CD Projekt Red has a great pedigree anyway, um, but that stuff, that RPG nerd stuff is like, oh my God, it looks so good. That looks great. So that's in a nutshell, Cyberpunk. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Moving from Cyberpunk to, let's talk about this mess that is Xbox Series X. So <laughs> <laughs> Xbox Series X is, the latest update we have now is that uh, it is coming out it. in November. <laughs> we will be looking for Xbox Series X in November. But to play old games, to play old games only because the flagship title of Xbox Series X, Halo Infinite, has been delayed. Y'all, it ain't coming. You ain't getting it. You get next Xbox, you ain't getting Halo. Ah, the PS5 is still open for pre orders. If you're looking for it, uh, go to the house. But it's your fault. Brandon was wrong. Um, no, oh, I'm but, uh, yeah, it's everyone who reacted. So, Xbox Series X is coming out, but like I said, you're not getting Halo. Halo Infinite has been delayed because you guys were too mean to it. <laughs> to 20 to 2021. Just enjoy that cartoon for what it was, and now they have to go back and try to make it better. So sorry, guys. So are we happy about that, or are we kind of? I mean, I'm kind it? of schadenfreuding about it right now because mm -hmm. we've been talking a lot of trash about this latest console launch for quite some time so i mean this is just kind of a moment to laugh i i am bummed for people who were planning on buying an xbox series x um because mm -hmm. that does look that does so like taking all my just like i've made it clear like who is currently winning this generation that we right. haven't even launched into yet <laughs> right yeah. but i that does suck that that is a marquee game that that's a system seller and people are looking forward to that game. And that is a bummer. However, if it makes for a better game, and we've seen this how many times, like time and time again with games, like if it makes for a better game in the end, I feel like most Xbox fans, like, I mean, would be, would rather wait a little longer and get a better end product than yeah, the one. I'm just amazed that, that they did this, honestly. Like this would be like if, <sighs> I'm trying to think of like what the, the Sony game would be the equivalent or like the Nintendo, like, like this. Okay. Call so this Duty. would be like Mario Sunshine or not sunshine Mario um, Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This would be like that. Cause that was a marquee system selling title and that's a marquee character for them. And that would be like Nintendo saying, Hey, we didn't like the reaction to this. 
we're going to postpone it. Like that never happens. Yeah. Um, so uh, Matt, if you read the statement, it's not because of the reactions. It's yes. Because of, it's because of COVID. That is great PR speak. Yep. That is not the case. <laughs> Did we mention producer Jim Viscardi used to be in public relations? That is, yes, exactly. Uh, King Spinner here. Yes, that is not to me. And I mean, like that's not the case since why other releases have released and are going to release while COVID is currently happening. And so mm -hmm. I don't, what would have changed now after the public reaction is the only thing that changed so why wasn't this delay announced before? But at least I just wonder to the public. I just wonder, like, like what what went wrong? Because you gotta believe that, you know. I think they were hoping they wouldn't necessarily get the reaction that they got, but they did, and so that now they gotta do it. And so, like, clearly something must have happened for them to like get to this point and be like, "Well, this is what we got." <laughs> you know? Yeah. I. It's it's. I don't think. I mean, if you are that confident to make 30 minutes of your entire presentation that one game, that's yeah. how confident they were. So yeah. when you go into that and it, it blows up like that, where the, the, what, the brute, the Guardian brute is the most memeable thing from the whole <laughs> presentation, <laughs> that's, that's not good, right? So yeah, I, I, I don't think it was for lack of confidence. I just think, I don't know what happened there, man. I don't know what happened there. Man. All right. Well, that was sad. Let's move on. We're going to talk about uh, some well, they're, images. They're releasing the comic book. That was also just released, right? They're actually going to do release it in November. The yeah, we said that. We said we were oh, okay. Doing, yeah. It started but, off. Oh, what were, whoops, you, what were you doing? What were you doing <laughs> online? I was playing Mario Kart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Looking up your Mario Kart high scores. <laughs> yeah, she was trying right. to get HBO Max on Roku, which is still exactly. not there. Gosh, yeah. get it together. Oh All right. <laughs> Moving on to things we have not talked about. We're going to talk about old TV shows that are coming back. Uh, we got our first trailer for the Saved by the Bell reboot. Um, can I do it? Was, can I do it? Yeah. Can I oh, do yeah, it? You, all, you can. I'm Please. so excited. I just wanted to do that. Okay. <laughs> I've been waiting yeah. to do that as a whole podcast. That was the overriding theme of that, uh, of that crazy, crazy trailer. So Mario Lopez and Elizabeth Berkeley are back. They are now adults at Bayside High, kind of leading a new generation of students. And this one, I'm torn because <laughs> I hate Saved by the Bell. I hate Saved by the Bell. Well, then what? you're not really torn. I, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, I hate Saved by the Bell. But I love 30 Rock. And this is from Tracy Wigfield, the showrunner of 30 Rock. And it has a 30 Rock vibe to it. Oh, very this much. It's very zany kind of slightly heightened life like this isn't like an attempt at a real teen sitcom like like the original saved by the bell was this is almost like a send-up of that and and so i like that but uh i hate saved by the bell but oh i love showgirl but i hate mario lopez so it's, it's like i'm all over the place well, that's what i'm saying gosh. like i wish that they would have had the maybe chosen two different actors like those are the two that i just don't really care to check in with what? like <laughs> it's AC. I, I want to see oh, Zach. Like, show me but Zach. But he's in a very limited role, evidently, because he's right. the mayor or governor okay. or something like that. So, like, they're still negotiating. But like, early okay, reports were that Kelly? he was. That's my question because I need Kelly Kapowski. Uh, yeah. And like, I understand why uh, Lark Voorhees is not going to do it. I understand like Dustin Diamond's not going to do it. Um, so there are certain characters that just aren't going to come back for this. Right. But 
but I need those two because like those two, even in in a limited role, but, but what Kofi said is true. Like this is very, this is what I kind of wanted from this. It was kind of the, and 90210 did something kind of sort of similar to this recently where they very much like sent themselves up and it was very meta take on their old show. I want that for this. And we get all those little 30 rockish cues about her knocking the pills out of the hand. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm not in agreement about the casting. I think Elizabeth Berkley is fantastic in this trailer because she is very much the Jenna Maroney of this whole thing. Like her kind of not taking the pills and then going on this whole monologue about caffeine pills and how it starts out fun. <laughs> oh, good. Which could be At about first, coke or excited. like anything. Like, yeah, it could be very real actor coke talk. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, like there, there are moments in this that are hilarious. That Max's uh, cafe, when they're in there, like, why do all the seniors look 40? Like, I love, oh, yeah. that's, those great are great people. lines. That is yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't like saving the bill, but I kind of like the zany take on that material. So like, it's just ironic. Did you, you ever like this? Saved by the Bell? No. I'm Even a as a kid? Like, I'm a normal Philadelphian human. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, Philadelphian human. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah, no. No, man. Um, or the college years. Sorry. Oh, what? I love what? the college years. The college years was straight up awful. Oh, no. I, like, I just went like the wedding the other day. Years. <laughs> anyway, so um, so I like this any take of the material. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna maybe dip my toe and give it a try. It's all Peacock, y'all. Peacock's doing big. You things. finally gave me a reason, Peacock, to watch <laughs> your network. This is the only reason that I will watch it. That's great. Oh my god. So another thing that may land on Peacock if they can pony up the money for it is ooh, there is going to be a Saved by, or Saved by the Bell, oh my God. Oh, Fresh man. Prince of Bel-Air reboot well, is in the works. This is a story. Yeah. Oh, I see, oh okay. See, now you can did? tell, now, now, now this is your segment. You just bought this segment. Congratulations. No, I'm, I'm so excited about this. It's really yeah. weird that people are saying so that it's going to be dark and dramatic reboot. Yeah, tell people what it is. What is I mean, the Saved by the Bell reboot? It's a reboot. It's a reboot of oh, Fresh Prince. I, that's why I thought you were actually introducing this because there is an actually story here. Okay, go for it. Um, so a YouTube trailer re-envisioned like the classic Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and uh, Will Smith even took part in that. And so it's really good, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> and it started buzz, and that buzz led to a full series reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So this started. And again, I, I, I respect this kind of thing because it's a little known fact, but uh, me and some of my old compatriots from an old site that I worked for were actually responsible in bringing back Fuller House. We actually <gasps> what? made that happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Anissa thanks you very much. Yeah. I love that show. It's <laughs> so, adorable. Like, so fun, a fun story. We used to do these kind of elaborate um, April Fool's Day pranks on the site all the time. And since I got to be the editorial person in charge, you know, there were no rules. It was just completely savage <laughs> stuff that we would do sometimes. <laughs> I once co- convinced the world that a uh, Chappelle show season four was happening. Oh, which I got so death mean. threats about. <laughs> oh man. I got <laughs> death threats. Cause I created a fake YouTube, like I cut and paste like images and make a fake YouTube trailer that people could Power play. is one hell of a drug. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, it was great. But um, one year we did our TV editor who was like a real like crazy guy and he loved full house. He did a whole thing about a fake thing about how Full House was coming back as this reboot with the girls living in the house and all that stuff. And so it was just a quick flash in the pan. It happened on New Year's. We got people, several sites reported it as real. Um, before that, Ben dude was doing all this. You know, we were, we were doing all this. But then, then it kind of died down. But a year later, 
and this is how the internet is funny. So a year later, major trades, including Disney, picked up this story online that only originated from us and started reporting it as a real story. And then it got like national news headlines until it was revealed to be, of course, a hoax based on an internet joke article. Um, and so then everybody was all embarrassed and all these major publications were embarrassed. But it got so much attention that Disney was just then like, wait a minute, say what? People were like that interested in this? Let's maybe bring back Full House for real? And then Fuller House was born. So do I, so I have you to thank then for it. And Janelle, remind me of his name, Kimmy's husband. Oh my gosh, what is, he's the I'm Dempsey. blanking right now. Oh, I, he's so sweet. I love him. So I have, I, so I have Kofi to thank for, for this now. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you, Kofi. I'm at the heart of a lot of dark things when, you, when we're doing <laughs> enough research. I love him. But um, yeah, so this new series for Fresh Prince, Fernando? getting back to our main, yes! main topic. Fernando. Fernando. He's so, great. Fresh Prince, this new series will be based uh, in the same vein, it said, as this viral trailer. So it's going to be more of a drama than a sitcom, um, which people say is funny. But like at the same time, I think the things that stick out for me in, in Fresh Prince are some of the most dramatic moments in the series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. oh, oh, yeah. an impact. Yeah. Like the why didn't he want me one? Yeah, oh, my dad. God, man. Like, yeah. Oh, man. That every like three months one. I watch that. Like it's like a standing yeah. appointment. And every time I grab <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so I think there's. But it one almost about, feels like, like a complete departure. Like they don't even need the like the affiliation with Fresh Prince because part of that really was like the rap in the beginning and the bright color. It just it was so. I don't know. It was so. It was. I mean, it was ninety. It was so it was incredibly nineties. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so they, it's like they almost don't need. You know that. what I'm saying? Yeah. But <laughs> they also like did. I mean, they did light touches on like racism sometimes. There was stuff about like kind of sexism. There was different things. Mm -hmm. Carlton yeah. got shot. Yeah, but no, when he, yeah, that's right. When he tried Carlton to got shot. Yeah, yeah. there's gun violence like there. So they did, yeah, they did things about like racial identity with Carlton mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are kind of, the world is in a very different place. Um, you know, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air might sound nice until you have things like, you know, obviously like the Trayvon Martin case, which it's kind of hard to go back and look at these concepts now and be like, and detach them from real world kind of very volatile issues right. and conversations. Yeah. So, I mean, in, I could see Will Smith being at a point in his life, given those less red table talks where he's probably feeling more serious than comedic and, and uh, you know, is ready to maybe do something that actually says more and kind of does more. So yeah. How will that be received? I don't know. I don't know how any of this is going to go off without uncle Phil still with us. So, you know, I know. Makes me sad. yeah. So I don't know. This is turning Uncle into a happy Phil. show, like a really, yeah. really happy show. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a bidding war currently because um, yeah, TV is always complicated about who owns what, who put yep. up the money to produce what. Um, House is owned by like 15 different people, even though it was oh on gosh. Fox. It's actually owned by like <laughs> ABC Universal. So, yeah. you know, and so it's always like a whole thing. So in streamers are now out here. So there's a bidding war for this reboot. Uh, Peacock you know, NBC is where Fresh Prince aired, so Peacock would seem like a natural home for it, but uh, it could very well end up on uh, HBO Max, too. So we're going to see, because I think Warner Brothers was behind the production on that, if I remember correctly. Um, so, yeah, we'll be on the lookout and keep you updated on that. Now let's talk about my boy McGruber. McGruber's coming back. And, uh, yeah, Peacock has gotten that. I'm just going to say that MacGruber is one of the most underrated comedy movies I saw in the 2010s <laughs> or late 2009s. Uh, 2010, yeah. 
So mm-hmm. I loved McGruber, that comedy movie, and Will Forte is just so great in that. He's so good. <laughs> and I think a series is the perfect mix between the kind of short sketches and a movie that maybe was a little too much McGruber for a lot of people. Uh, this could be a good kind of middle ground. Um, and I would love to see him die at the end of every episode and, kind of <laughs> come back and start yes. again. Uh, that would be great. But uh, yeah, McGruber is, of course, Will Forte's crazy MacGyver spoof about a really bumbling idiot who thinks he's MacGyver and is, you know, gets into all kinds of hijinks. In the movie, he was a super spy. And uh, him and Kristen Wiig, that was one of the funniest, like I said, funniest and most underrated so movies of the 2010s for me. So look for that. It's coming to Peacock. All right. We're going to do a quicker deep dive today than I thought because we also have a bonus segment today that I didn't introduce up top, but uh, we have a new comic series that's out now called Seven Secrets by the all-star team of Tom Taylor and Mr. Daniele Di Nicolo. And we have an interview with them. Me and Matt got to sit down with them for our deep dive segment and talk about Seven Secrets, the world, and everything in between right now. So be sure to check out that interview. Tom Taylor, you know, from like Deceased and uh, other great things. And yeah, this book is, is a lot of fun. This is like high spy action with some kind of mystical, supernatural elements thrown in. Um, a lot of twist turns, like a good James Bond movie. So uh, that was our next comic series to kind of sit down and talk with the creators of. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, Seven Secrets should be out now by the time you're hearing my voice. So stick around for that interview. But first... Jim, tell us what is happening at DC Comics. Like, oh, what's going on? Man, man, oh, man. Well, so look, it's, it, the, the stuff that's happening at DC Comics is part of a larger thing that's happening across Warner Media. I mean, Warner Media, you know, said that they were going to be making cuts kind of across the board amidst the entire AT&T merger acquisition, you know, thing. And, and here's, you know, and it, and it caught up, right? So I think they said something along the lines of like 800 plus people across Warner Media, which, you know, which, which sucks. There's no yeah, easy way to, to put it. And so, um, you know, as far as, you know, our corner of the nerdverse is um, uh, concerned about, uh, you know, it, the cut, cuts came to DC Comics and, and they were big cuts at, at, a, at a very high level. Um, so, those who will no longer be with DC Comics anymore are editor-in-chief Bob Harris. Uh, Jim Lee is still with the company, but he is no longer publisher. He is just the chief creative officer. Uh, but, you know, the two editors who were, you know, really kind of in charge of the the Black Label and a lot of the early Batman stuff, Mark Doyle, Brian, Brian Cunningham, um, and uh, Andy Corey. Uh, VP of Marketing, Jonah Weiland. Uh, senior VP, Hank Canals. And, uh, and Bobby Chase are also, you know, are, are just not part of the company anymore. That's just the, the comic side of, of DC, right? Because they also cut DC Universe, the streaming, like the streaming. So the streaming service is still around. It will still be there. Stuff, I, you know, what I imagine will happen is, is that stuff will continue to roll out as they have it. Um, but I mean, you know, this was kind of a, a long thing coming, right? Where all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, they stopped uh, offering year-long subscriptions to, yeah. to the service. And, and so, you know, the, the minute HBO Max was, was announced and the AT&T purchase happened, the, it was a ticking clock on, on DC Universe. Uh, the, one of the bigger surprises t- for me was uh, DC Direct was their, their, their straight up merchandise line, which I imagine will probably get folded into a larger um, Warner Brothers consumer products type, you know, type of thing, or they may just 
go the route of just continuing to license that that stuff out. I mean, DC Direct really started out of a um, the, the partnership that they had with Diamond. They don't have that partnership with Diamond anymore, and so they tried to figure out how they could do it. I mean, DC Direct was putting out a, an incredible amount of product, but my favorite thing that they were doing were the, uh, the artist line of statues. Yes. They so, did a Superman one. They've done a long-running ba- uh, black-and-white Batman one, which was just based off, you know, iconic artists who have put their touch on, you know, on those characters. Um, and it's, a, you know, for those who have been collecting that line, you've got a pretty sweet, pretty sweet collection. Yeah, so all the bombshells, statues. Oh, yeah, bombshell stuff yeah. all came from DC Direct. It's just, yeah. just a ton of stuff. And so now the big question is, well, what does that mean for DC Comics? And so it's... Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of doom and gloom out there. People are like, oh my gosh, they're not going to make comics anymore. Like that is, that's not, that's not the case. They that, will, I don't know why that keeps popping up. It's, you know, it's just a, it was a crazy rumor back then. Just it's still fear. a crazy rumor now. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean like, look, their editorial, their editorial team has been, has been is dramatically smaller than it was Absolutely. just earlier this week. And so, so yes, there will be title cuts. Yes, there will be different kinds of, um, you know, there may be different mediums in which the comics come out. I mean, they've been testing all of that stuff for the last couple of years. The, yeah. the YA graphic novel market has, has done um, presumably very well for them that they, they keep doing them. Uh, they are putting out things like, like Black Label, which has done very well for them, which are just let two creators go to town telling a story on what they want. Um, and like, to be totally honest, like the regular ongoing stuff that DC has been doing, you know, hasn't set the world on fire. There are a lot of titles that very, very few people are reading. Now, that, that this is not a knock on those books. It's not a knock on DC. I mean, Marvel's got plenty of books that are kind of in in that. And they've world, also started in cutting. that range. And they've also started. Cutting, yeah. Right. So this is this is truly a, a natural. Um, it's something that happens, you know, every, every so often, uh, not never quite as big as this, all of the assistants and associate editors, editors are still there and they will presumably get, get bumped up. Marie Javins, um, is, uh, probably one of the more senior uh, folks there in addition to, um, oh my gosh, I am blanking on her last name. Uh, her name is Michelle. I can't remember. Um, but she was, Michelle has been, uh, the one who has really driven, the GN market, uh, the graphic novel market for DC. And Marie Javins is just, she's, I mean, she's an institution in, in comics. Uh, if you're a comics fan, you have either read some of her stuff, you have read the stuff that she has edited um, or, or, or beyond. And so, um, you know, this could be the start of a, a really cool new change for, for DC. I think, you know, one of the other things that is, is happening is uh, they are looking at a lot of the very recent big, exclusive contract signings and i think those types of agreements you know in comics in general are probably not necessarily going to exist anymore i think um you know the last the last biggest one obviously was when brian michael bendis went to dc and and, you know and signed there that's probably going to be the last one we see uh uh, like that um you know and, and and it's so weird because those agreements are they can be great or they can be there. They can be totally awful. Right. Like well, they can uh, be anchors or they can they, be anchors. Right. Yeah. Like, and I was just thinking the other day, you know, one of my, one of my favorite artists is John Romita jr. And I know he is a divisive kind of artist. Matt hates him. Uh, I don't hate him. I dislike him. And he is saddled with an exclusive contract with, with DC and we have not seen his work anywhere. Like it's just, it's, 
you know, he's been on a few covers here, there. And like the dude has done some of the biggest comics that you have read. And he's currently not being used by DC. Like that is just money being burnt that they can't figure out a way to use John Romita Jr. is just tells you the problems that that company has had with their publishing line. Well, and they've had that for a minute, right? Because Mark Bagley had the same thing. He went over yeah. and he was exclusive. And then they it was like one series. Work. Yeah. yeah, it was like, hey, here's some covers. And Marvel's that was it. Toys from the 90s. Yeah, and, and you can, the jury's kind of out on Bendis because Bendis took over the Superman books. And ben, Bendis has not been able to do any, anywhere near, reach the success yes. anywhere near that he had at Marvel. No. Now, yeah. well, that's, look, so that there, could I be mean, any... Arguably, that was their problem all along is trying to, like, recycle Marvel's success into their own publishing, like, using the same creators. And, like, look, I, I, I have yeah, said... For, it can work sometimes, time time but... Like I have said time and time again, and I think the perfect example of it was basically a book that nobody read uh, unless you were shopping at Walmart. Batman Universe was one of the best Batman comics to hit stands in the last five years. Now, look, I love what Tom King has like. I love what Tom King has been able to do. I loved you know what you know Scott Snyder is able to do. But to have Brian Michael Bendis come from Marvel to DC and not immediately give him Batman is yeah is is just the wrong choice. I don't know why they didn't, because we've seen this happen with other characters. That would have that would have been a two hundred thousand yes. unit per just, month book. Just make a new Batman. You have like eight already. <laughs> just make a new Batman. Or book just move you move and Tom give it King to, to detect. Move Tom King to detective or whatever. Like you have yeah. that that other B book that you can move you can move someone else to. But like you just think of the friends. You have that detective. Are, just give right. him detective, <laughs> or they could have, right. yeah. or they could have given Bendis detective, right? Which would have made, yeah. which would have fit his house more. But like, you look at the murderers row of artists that Bendis has been able to have, not only at Marvel but on Superman. Yeah, put that on a Batman book, yeah, and there is no reason you would you're not selling double what detective is selling already. And yeah. so, so there's there, they need to hire you. I mean, but it's just, it's, it, it's just weird decisions like that. And there's a lot of weird, you know, kind of, there were a lot of weird fiefdoms over at DC that, that inevitably got us to this point. It, it is, it is awful that these people had, you know, do not have jobs anymore. No one, no one ever wants to see that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when, when you, when you approach big company mergers like this and you have to see you spent how much on what on this book, like that's, you know, it's being able to balance that budget, that sh- the balance sheet is so important to comics because comic margins are so razor thin that, you know, if you're not going to get that return, then you need to figure something out. It's why Marvel will cancel books at issue four. Like if it's just not going to work, it's not going to work. And so, and so, you know, so, sorry, that's my kind of rant on uh, tell us yeah, how no. Really no, go on <laughs> why you're here but look i mean it's just it's it's you know it, it's unfortunate but it, it it's not it is not the end of the world for dc uh it'll, i'm really curious to see where where the company goes i feel like the, you know there's potential to do a lot a lot of things um you know that's the big a good question segue. Is, yeah, I mean, like, the, one, the one okay fine. We'll, we'll go segue because we got time but yeah, that's my bottom line is you're hopeful yeah i'm hopeful yes. I, oh, I am that's a, that's a great segue into coming to see what the company is about to tell us what it's going to, its future is going to look like because DC Fandom is coming up 
And if you haven't been keeping the track of that, that like everybody and their mother is going to be there except the fired <laughs> people. Seems um, awesome. Like, yeah. And so this has kind of been a weird situation because DC fandom is going to, I mean, they have everybody from comics, animation, TV, movies, gaming, like it's going to be nuts. And we just saw the guest list has been kind of leaking out because people who are coming have posted images of it. And, and it's just crazy. Like, I mean, like I just can't even go through the names because everybody can probably think of the only people you can't <laughs> see there are Josh Wheaton, um, Ray Fisher. <laughs> and so far not Henry Calville or Ben Affleck, although I don't put it past a surprise from those. Yeah. People. Yeah. That would be Both amazing. It's just oh unfortunate that yeah. like this um, had to be like, the yeah. lead up. Oh, so, yeah, absolutely. No, because because so this is this is going to be a true celebration of, of DC of DC. Yeah. I understand, and, but it's still it's, no. Oh, absolutely. Yes, and like, it's and, not and so, what but, you would have wanted the well, new era to start off That's what people have been questioning. As. Shouldn't you have waited till after? And it's like, well, no, I get what they're going for. They're gonna they're just getting through the ugly part, yeah. and then they're gonna celebrate. Like, here's where we're going from here. Here's why we don't need these elements. Here's what we're yeah. gonna be doing now. And, because here's what gonna happen. Even yeah. if they did it after fandom, that people are still gonna be like. You did fandom, and then you fired people. I'm not saying there's a there's a better solution. I'm just saying yeah. it's unfortunate. Is my no, yeah, it yeah. is. Oh, for I sure. Mean, it's fire, it's, yeah. I mean, those are big positions, and people who thought they were probably securing a lot of those. Yeah. I mean, titles, and yeah, so it's it's crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll keep a, we'll keep an eye on it as DC fandom comes up the pike in another week or so. Um, we were gonna go talk in these comics today, but we don't have time because we got to toss. So we're gonna talk about. Deceased and Joker War and a bunch of other stuff next show uh, in comics because we got to today toss over to Seven Secrets creators Tom Taylor and Daniele D. Nicolo who uh, have written this new awesome series. Uh, me and Matt got to sit down with them, so stick around, listen to that interview because uh, yeah, Tom Taylor, we're talking about DC Comics and creators and stuff, uh, one of the uh, best. So check that out and check out Seven Secrets if you haven't already. Let's get into that interview now. Hey, Comic Book Nation folks, uh, me and Kofi are here with an awesome in interview for you today. Uh, Boom Studios is releasing a brand new series called Seven Secrets, uh, and two fan favorite creators are teaming up on it. So we get to talk to them all about the first issue. Of course, we have writer Tom Taylor and artist Daniela DiNicuola. How are you guys? I'm very well, thank you. Fine, thank you. It's almost like we've done this before. I know, right? No, it's not. It's in the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Have I seen that cat before? <laughs> uh, so, you know, one of the coolest things, I mean, you guys come from some really big series and you've worked with big properties before, and now we're getting to see you guys come together. So, um, you know, can you give us kind of some insight as to how this team up started? Sure. Well, it all started with uh, Daphna over at Boom. I knew Daphna outside of... Outside of, you know, the comics we've done, we've actually met in real life and get along very well. I think I like Kingsman, so she instantly likes me. Um, that's just how that works. Um, <laughs> while recognizing the flaws of Kingsman too. If you know Daphne, trust me, that's a very, um, that's an in-joke that none of you will understand. Um, but Daphne came to me. She wanted me to work on a creator-owned boom. I'd been trying to get a creator-owned up for a, quite a while and I had two ideas and, she had mentioned that she really wanted Daniele to work on it. And I saw his art and went, oh, my God. Um, and one of those ideas was just perfect for him. It was just, it was sort of kismet. We knew that, that Daniele would just blow it out of the water. And so that was the one we went with. We went with Seven Secrets and 
Daphne reached out and we just hit it off straight away. Well, you know, and we, in the first issue, um, we meet the first of several uh, keepers and holders uh, and Eva and Sigurd, I believe I'm saying uh, Sigurd's yep. name right, correct? Okay. I really uh, hope you are. I really hope I am. Uh, are, the, are the first two we meet. Um, you know, can you take us a bit uh, behind their creation uh, and what the goal was for them, both from a character perspective and a visual design perspective? Sure. It was, look, if, we'll, we'll spoil something here and let you know that Sigurd and Eva are the parents of the main character. Um, but they are the parents of a main character that isn't allowed to have parents. They are a keeper and a holder, and one of the rules is you are not allowed to have children. So for us, they're a very tragic pairing, but also very capable, very kick-ass, very duty-bound and honour-bound, but also have some, a part of them which they wish they could devote somewhere else. Um, and in coming up with these characters, I just sort of came up with them on the page on, you know, wrote them out, wrote who they were and what they did, and then... Danielle started sketching and I think in particular Sigurd, like the first one he sent, we just instantly, the whole team just fell in love with this character and went yes. Um, and it was like that for all the Keepers and Holders, everything Danielle drew, we just wanted to know more about them and it excited me. Danielle? Yeah, and for me, yeah, as, as Tom said, they are the, the parents of the main, the main character of Casper, but they are parents that are are not allowed to be parents. So I wanted to give them uh, a look like of, uh, yeah, but that's characters, but also uh, I wanted to, to feel them like they could appear like caring people, but caring people that they had to suppress their feelings because they are not allowed to, uh, to express them. So I tried to express this thing on their visual, on their design. And I think that it worked because, <laughs> as Tom said, we, we immediately immediately fell in love with the characters. I mean, reading the pitch, reading the description of the characters, I, I felt in love with them. I fell in love with them. And immediately I thought about the, their design and it immediately worked. So they, 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 there's so much about them that we can tell you now, but <laughs> there's so much about them. Yeah. <laughs> It is, it is one of the problems with doing, like, t doing publicity about a book called Seven Secrets is that everything to do with this book is a secret. So it's like, what can you tell us? Nothing! <laughs> well, that's actually, I actually wanted to piggyback off that because I was trying to figure out how, I mean, I came up against that question, I mean, that problem when I was trying to figure out what to even ask you guys. So I yeah. wanted to ask in, because this is not a spoiler heavy thing, can you talk, Tom, about a little bit about what is the thematic richness about the secrets themselves um, and kind of what made you want to play with that idea in particular? Sure. From, from a story point of view, one, my first sort of major success as a writer was a play. It was a short play called The Example, which was about a briefcase on a train station and what that briefcase train, that sort of came to represent. It was about terrorism and about racism and about all these things. And this short play won a bunch of awards and went on all around the world and then got turned into a comic. And that comic, which was a 10-page comic about a briefcase, got me a job writing Star Wars, which makes perfect sense, right, for a guy in Australia. Um, yeah, it kind of blew my mind too. But I love that concept for a story. I love the – it's a really simple concept. It's what's in the box. You know, everybody knows that story. But in this case, with the seven secrets, we have seven of those. 
we have this, this incredible mystery that's wrapped in other mysteries because then there's a secret order that protect these. We don't know why they're being protected. We don't know who they're being protected from or why they can't get out. Um, so everything about this is a mystery and, and you want to turn the page. You want to read the next issue. You want to know more. Um, we as creators, Danielle and I, like there was, there was a while when we, we didn't know what all the secrets were and we're like, oh man, what could this one be? Like we were excited. Um, and there's still one that Danielle doesn't know. <laughs> wow. um, I, I, I just saw your DM before. Tell me the other one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's even secrets within secrets within the team. Take that. Um, so yeah, there's not a lot we can say, but what we can say is that it makes for a very, very compelling story, um, and we're just as excited about those secrets as you know, as hopefully the audience will be. I feel like Kiss Me Deadly and Pulp Fiction had a profound effect on you about yeah, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> briefcases and what they may yeah. or may not contain um cool cool so we're looking forward to you guys getting the seven secrets first and then we can learn more about them uh <laughs> yeah once we know what yeah. yeah now um, it is look it's it's seven secrets that can change the world that is the upshot that they have the power to change the world and not necessarily for the better so they have to be protected and there is the, the order of the seven that protect them and there is a guy daniele's favorite character amon and the seekers who have been seeking these things for generations as well, um, who want to get their hands on them. Why? We'll find out. Uh, well, that's actually a, a, you know, a perfect uh, segue because you know, we get to briefly meet Amon in the yeah. first issue, um, very briefly, and you know, it does make a hell of an impact right away. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, what can you, you know, tease about um, him as a you know as a character and a villain and is there something that you feel like will surprise people about him as the book's villain uh yeah <laughs> yeah um people will <laughs> definitely be surprised by him i remember when danny ellie got to the end of an, an issue he wrote recently and he wrote to me like what tell me more um which is what we want so like everything with this book there are secrets tied up with the characters too and almost every character has a secret um, it's not just the cases they hold. Um, it's also the characters themselves. And so Amon is not just a Bond villain. He's not just a guy in a swivel chair with a white cap. There, he is a really, really, really intriguing villain. Um, maybe I'll give him a white cap now. Um, <laughs> man, it's, uh, <laughs> but he is, there's something about him. I mean, it's, and it's, it's partly, well, it's almost all because of how Danielle draws it. He's, you know, Daphne's always talking about how hot he is. Um, and that's kind of what you want from a villain. You want someone that's, that has a bit of magnetism to him and that you want to know what he's going to do next. And I don't know, Danielle, do you want to talk about how, you know, how you realised that? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I fell in love immediately with, uh, with Damon when, uh, when Tom told me about him and uh, his secrets. And um, I, I designed him um, I, I gave him this, this mug, this face, like he knows something. And in, in a series about secrets, knowing, knowing things means something. And um, also I wanted to give him uh, this elegant look with, with this particular and peculiar weapon, the, the, the shite that he used. And he used very well in the <laughs> yeah. very first <laughs> And <laughs> Sorry, and, readers. <laughs> And um, yeah, uh, it's it's 
it's uh, it's somebody that has something uh, that is keeping for him, and uh, I think that readers will fall in love with him too, uh, and somehow they will hate him also. But uh, it's a very intriguing characters also because it's it's a gray, it's not totally white, it's not totally black as a villain. He has his reason. And uh, I think it's why is a compelling character. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of the, it's actually kind of uh, piggybacking off that because, you know, there's this balance that people, a lot of characters need to have of this, whether they're a villain or an anti-hero or even a hero. They, there needs to be an edge, but there also needs to be a likability to them. They need to be endearing in some way. And, you know, with Eva and Sigurd, because of the choice that they have to make uh, with, is it Casper or is it Casper? Yeah. Okay, Casper, okay. So, um, you know, that is like a, there, there's a, there's one like heartbreaking scene uh, yeah. after, you know, they, after Casper is born and there's such a coldness, you know, Daniele like really killed that whole scene. There's this, this, such a yeah. coldness. And then you see, you know, Sigurd's reaction outside. And there's this whole thing about this underlying theme in addition to all the secrets about, you know, like abandonment and yeah. not feeling wanted and things like that. And so how do you make these guys empathetic and, you know, still like get across that, like the choice that they are making is one that like a lot of parents would have a very hard, like would have a very hard time making. And he even, Casper even makes a point of saying that, you know, and then he says like, okay, I'm being overdramatic, but like, there's a, there's a whole thing about that. Like how trying to maintain that balance, like how are you doing that? It is. I mean, partly it's, it's, it's how complex Daniele can, can create these features and these expressions, you know, the nuance he can put in there. You can tell when Eva's making a decision to essentially say, no, I can't have a child, you know, it can be born, but it can't be mine you can see what she's struggling with in her face because he's brilliant. Um, but it is, you know, this is not an easy decision. At no point in time is it like, well, that's our duty, so goodbye, child, we're done. Um, it's not about that. And certainly as the series progresses, you'll see the struggles with that, that it's not, you know, this is duty and this is what came first, um, but it's not necessarily the right decision. And I think, you know, we we can borrow from society for that. We can borrow from, you know, if you're a parent, you know, I, I've got two kids and it's, it's almost 2am and I'm sitting down here doing this going, okay, well, you know, I should be hanging with them in the morning and that will never happen because I go to sleep at about 9am at the moment. Um, you know, it's about what we do and, and the sacrifices we make and, and, and the balance, that work-life balance um, in a much more fantastical setting, I guess. Absolutely. Keep it in the wrong button. One thing I've been wondering is, and there's kind of like a lot of hints in what you guys have spring, kind of sprinkled in into what you're saying. Can we trust our initial perspective here that this world is kind of set up the way we see it? Because I feel like you guys are going to maybe kind of play with perspective and how things are initially seen between, you know, how they develop without getting any spoilers, because I want to be on this ride, should we just keep our eyes open for some of the deeper subtleties in what we're seeing? I think, yeah, look, it's, I think enjoy the ride. <laughs> it's, 
is the answer to that. Um, this book twists and turns. Yes, um, characters that you that you love now may not exist in three issues. So love them while you can. Um, <laughs> Too heavy for twenty twenty. I can't take that. <laughs> um, but no, it's there's a lot of as Danielle was saying before. There's a lot of grey in this book. Um, not everything's black and white. There is. There's stories that are going to, you know, you may think we're going in a certain direction and then something else is opened up and we like to do that. It's not just about opening the case. It's about opening the story to another story and suddenly we'll be on a path that no one expected. I'm loving it and I'm terrified at the same time. <laughs> that's what we want. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, there's uh, the series feels like, especially in that first issue, kind of like a very Mission Impossible thrill ride, um, especially like in the in not even the chase sequence, but like one sequence uh, with Eva on a motorcycle. And it's just this really cool. Like it feels very cinematic in that respect. And, you know, Daniela, you're used to creating kind of these epic larger than life scenes uh, on Power Rangers. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're this is kind of you know, in your, in your bag, but you know, what's been the biggest challenge for you uh, going from that to seven secrets? Um, you know, it's just in, I guess the, the change of scope. Um, but what is kind of the biggest challenge for you? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's been uh, exactly the, the, the completely change of, of kind of history. I mean, with, with Power Rangers, you can have two or three, kind of action scenes because you can have the, the zords you can have them fight with monsters or they you can have them fight in the in the cities when they are bigger but you will never have like uh, a chasing run in the city you will ne you never have uh, gunfires and stuff like that so i had to reinvent myself and my my narration and my storytelling for a uh, new kind of scenes that I couldn't do in Power Rangers because it was not the, the kind of stories. And uh, it's been a, a great challenge, but uh, I, I, was, I, was, I, I can't express the word in English because it's not coming right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's what I really wanted for a long time because I've been like three, four years with Power Rangers and uh, uh, I really wanted new kind of things to draw. I wanted new scenes, new scope. Um, and this is the kind of stories that I truly love because I can do a lot of actions, very different actions. I can change locations. We are exploring a thousand locations and because we can go wherever we want. And uh, we have the entire world and uh, you know, we are opening the first issue in uh, in Switzerland, and then we go. Uh, I don't remember if we are in London. In London, always yeah. in the first issue. I, I don't want to spoil things because <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of locations, and uh, but that's that's the the thing that I love about this book. It's like uh, an adventure book. It's uh, it's an action book like Mission Impossible or uh, or James Bond. That kind of stories that can make you travel all over the world and make you uh, see and feel these so various actions and characters and yeah it's it's massive it's massive we can what we can do yeah 
Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the cool things about you know talking to you guys is you guys come from you've worked on so many. <laughs> different uh, different things and Tom that goes for you too and uh you know you've worked with DC and Marvel on a, on a bunch of different characters so question if you were to pull from one of your other uh series if you were to pull a, two characters to be a keeper and a holder who oh, would man. it be in seven secrets and I, I have a personal favorite but I won't throw that out there until you answer uh I would probably, I'm staring at his action figure right now, so I'd go with Green Arrow and Black Canary. Um, I think they'd be brilliant keepers and holders with Harley Quinn just thrown in there for funsies. Yeah. Nice. Yes. I was going to throw out uh, Laura and Gabby. As oh, man. Well. Okay, now I, now I get four. Okay. Yeah, now you get four. Now, who's, here's the thing, though. Who is the keeper and who is the holder? No, I'd make well, I'd make Gabby the holder, and I'd make Laura the keeper, and then I'd make I'd make Ollie the holder, and I'd make Dinah the keeper because Dinah's more responsible. Fair, it's very fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm taking four. I'm taking two from each. Thanks. Perfect. <laughs> Go for it. You guys have kind of talked about the influence of. Uh, I mean, this is a very cinematic book, and uh, Daniele, I love the art and kind of, like you said, the, the scale of it. I, and I don't know if you were searching for that word or if I'm just putting words in your mouth, but um, <laughs> cinematic. <laughs> like, it, and it was like some of reading, like watching some old action movies and even like action serials. So I was kind of wondering what, beyond those influence of Mission Impossible, James Bond, were there some favorites you guys had that influenced the book? And is there any kind of tropes of those action movies that you kind of maybe had some fun subverting and playing with a little bit? It was actually, it was more Daniele himself that inspired me to include so much of that. Like, there's more action sequences and more, more sort of fight scenes and stuff because I saw Daniele's art and, and because he's, he's got this amazing kinetic energy that he puts on the page and I just want to see more of it. So, you know, when you, when you have a talent like that, you have to exploit it. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you've got to... You've got to use it, and it's and it's and it blows our mind every time. You're sending pages yesterday um, of one of our main characters. I won't even say where. Um, in the midst of this amazing sort of fist fight, and it's just you feel every hit, and they're coming at these incredible angles. And you know, if you ask me, what I I don't draw from a particular action film. I draw from looking at Daniele's art and wanting to see more of it. <laughs> Same question to you, Daniele. Uh, well, uh, I've been just inspired by all the, the, the movies I talk about. I also love Kingsman. I also love all the... Um, I'm a very big fan of J Jason Bourne uh, trilogy. And uh, I love all those kind of stories where there's a lot of action in different places. And also where, where there are a lot of characters um, that plays the action. And I love the, the interaction between characters during the action. So being a big fan of that kind of stories and movies, uh, it's been just natural to give that kind of scope and, and vibe to the series. And uh, Tom, it's pretty good of <laughs> writing that stuff. So <laughs> it's been easy. It's been easy with a script like that. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Awesome. So, you know, uh, it's, we're going to get in this one, just a little 
spoilery uh, first issue, of course. But uh, you know, one of the things we've we've made mention of is Sigurd's uh, poor fate, uh, and uh, you know, a, a little heartbreaking, like this Kofi said. Go until after the, after well, the book comes out, right? Yes, this is coming out. After okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, you know, so we have, we have that kind of heartbreaking thing. And, and because, you know, it could very well be that we meet these characters and that just, that just happens. It's a thing of life sometimes and characters go before you want to see them go. But, you know, is there, will we see Sigurd continue to play a role in the series despite his death? Or is it something where, you know, we kind of just have to say goodbye. We certainly, we will certainly see him in issue two. We will, we will see flashback because we, we build the connection between Casper and Sigurd and, and to the life he could have had. Um, and certainly, you know, there are things Sigurd does that, that, have, that have an effect. Like we see what else Sigurd has touched out in the world um, later on in you. So, yes, he, he certainly has his footprint on this series. Um, but, I mean, he's, like, as you say, the issue's out already. So, um, you know, it's hard to have a really active role without a head. You know, it's just, <laughs> just one of those things. Um, you know, that's, that kind of ends your story potential once you're headless. Um, sorry. That should be in his bio. Yeah. <laughs> it's really no, it's hard to have a, yeah. it's really hard to have a story without a head this is very yeah, true I mean you, you you can have a role also without a head I mean it's true <laughs> yeah you can no, you, you, you can we, we can't spoil anything but I mean why don't having a head doesn't mean that you can be part of this so, no it's okay <laughs> you <laughs> drawn a whole issue where he's just walking around as a headless person. I don't know about it yet. I mean, if that issue doesn't exist already, it should. <laughs> I think this is gold. Yeah, it's like the spin-off of headless seagull. Yeah. Like it's just normal life, but without yeah. the head. It's headless cool. Like drinking book. coffee straight in the straight down. Yeah, he doesn't say a lot. Yeah. yeah. This is this is gold. So if Daphne is listening, this is the, yeah. on a platter. That's on a platter. Right Next year's. Uh, well, I just, you know, thank you guys so much. I mean, I, uh, you know, really enjoyed the first issue. Can't wait to see what uh, surprises you guys have next. Uh, and of course the issue is out now. So definitely, uh, check this book out. Thank you guys so much for chatting with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. That was our interview with Tom Taylor, Danielle, uh, Danielle D. Nicolo. The book is Seven Secrets. It's out now. Go check that out. This has been Comic Book Nation. That'll do it for this episode. We want to thank you guys for tuning in, as always, as we go through this quarantine arc. We post new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday on comicbook.com, where you can go to find and listen to them, or you can subscribe on your favorite uh, podcast listening platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Google Playlists, or you can tell your Amazon Alexa devices to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast, and it'll get it going for you. If you are just now getting into the show, you can always find us and drop a comment or just say what's up to us at the hashtag Comic Book Nation, or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. <laughs> you can find me at Janelle Wheeler. And I'm at Jim Biscardi. And... 
If you like the show, go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. One day we will be back in the studio, a studio somewhere that resembles one, and uh, we're going to get our T-shirt merch because, like I said, we need that budget for next year to be the same. So we got to get rid of some of the studio for Comic Con. I was like staring. I was like, "Look at all these shirts, and they're behind a locked door." They're all spoken for. They all need to get shipped out. (laughs) They're there. I swear, I saw them. So. We want to give you guys some t-shirts, so leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to watch us, be sure to go on Facebook Live every Wednesday and Friday when we air new episodes there, and you can see our smiling faces as we do the show. That'll do it for this episode of Comic Nation. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Stay connected. Stay healthy out there. And uh, join us next time when we come back. Peace. Deuces.